the literal job description, what a CEO does, and what a CEO, implicit in this, is what a CEO then does not do. The literal CEO job description. Let me list them all and then we'll come back and we'll unpack them, okay? Number one, a CEO provides direction. Provides direction. Number two, you obtain. And I'm circling that word because this is a paradigm shift from the way we think in ministry we, and the way we've been functioning in ministry. We have to break a habit here that we've gotten too rigid in. Obtain plans and ideas and recommendations from others. Plans, ideas, and recommendations from others. Obtain them from them. We'll come back to that. Number three, commission the work. This is what you do. Nothing more, nothing less. It's real simple, but it requires skill and art form to do this effectively. Skill and art form that you refine and perfect over time. Commission the work. Number four, we provide again. We provide for their success, discipleship. We provide for their success. And number five, another key operative word here, we're going to circle it, obtain evaluation. Obtain evaluation. So provide direction, obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations, commission the work, provide success, and obtain evaluation. That is what a leader does, a CEO does, and we're all CEOs in here. We're, all de we're developing, all you leaders are satellite CEOs for your pastor, the CEO. So this applies to every, everybody in the ministry must function this way. Not just the pastor, not just the pastor and a couple people, but everybody over time learns to function this way by these rules, by these standards, providing direction, obtaining plans, ideas, and recommendations from other people. You're still in charge, so you commission the work. You're approving it or disproving it, and then you're coaching them for success, you're discipling them, and then you're obtaining evaluation. Now, when you give direction, I want to make sure you... you and I, I, we'll go through the 10 steps of direction setting. In fact, there's a pastor here who taught me, you know, actually... Dr. Radke, there's five offensive and five defensive direction setting. He'd heard the 10, and then he said, you know, it really is five offensive and five defensive. And we're going to learn those on Saturday. We're going to learn that, the, the art of de delegation, the art of direction setting. I can't do that here. It takes an hour, an hour and a half, and sometimes two hours to do it really thoroughly. But providing direction is the best way I can explain it, and the first step in providing direction of the, of the 10 Steps, the first one would be to envision. Envision. 
So you go to the mountain, and we're going to talk about going to the mountain. It's, it's the start. That's how you kickstart kick the strategic planning process. Step one is you go to the mountain and hear from God. And I, I'll give you a wealth of uh, steps that I've learned and pastors have taught me that will make your mountain experience that much more clear. I know, I know you know how to hear from God, or you wouldn't be where you are. But th there will be some steps in here that will help you hear him more clearly where you can ask questions and where you can pull stuff out of him that will better that will, so he can better direct you. But it starts with envisionment over here. Envisionment is the first step, to envision clearly what it is God wants. What is he telling you to do and what does that look like? So when you envision it, you can, you can believe that it's going to come to pass. You can see it happening. And when you describe it to someone else, it's, it's, clear to it's easy for you to describe with clarity and with precision because you can see it. You can envision it, and you have to, that takes time for you to envision it. But it's like they asked Michelangelo. Let me, let me illustrate to you, um, and give you an analogy. The, Mike, they asked Michelangelo, they said, how do you create those exquisite sculptures that you do? Those are exquisite. Those are amazing. I mean, how do you do that? How do you, how do you get that accomplished? How do you do that, sir? He said, oh, he said, I can see, I can see the angel. I can see the angel there in the block of, of marble, in the rock, there in that rock. I can see the angel in it. I can see the angel there. And then what I do is I chisel, and I chisel, and I chisel, and I chisel, because I can see it, and I chisel, and I chisel, until I set it free. Isn't that beautiful? But what you do is more beautiful than getting something out of a rock. What you do is far more beautiful than that, but it's the same thing. You're focused on what it is God wants. The chiseling is the directing, the constructive changes to set what God told you to do free, to set it free through others. But Michelangelo has to keep his eye on what he sees, what he envisions. Otherwise, he's going to be knocking off an ear and clipping off an arm, and who knows it ends up being contemporary art. <laughs> That's what you do. And what you do is more valuable and more beautiful. But the directing the constructive changes is the, is the chiseling. To set free what God told you to set free through other people. Not you. Through others. You have to learn to do it through others. Let me talk to you a little bit more about direction setting. Not only is your direction setting a goal like this, may, you may say, you may think of direction setting as, okay, guys, let's make 15 to 30 this year, okay? That's a direction. You're establishing some result, criteria for an achieve, a, a result that we're going to achieve. So you're, that's a result. You're, you're setting direction for a change, a numerical change in this case, it, or increase the youth by 30% this year, or whatever it is. You know, that, that's how we think of direction setting, and that's, that's a big part of it. That's half of it. But the other half of it is how people function, how people behave, how people do the building is just as important. You're not going anywhere if all you're given is results direction and you haven't given behavioral or functional direction. 
So for example, you're, you're casting the vision and you're setting goals or you're approving the goals that they submit and over time they're going to submit the goals and you're going to approve them. You don't even have to come up with them unless God told you a specific number at the mountain. But you're casting the vision but you're also establishing behavioral standards or expectations. So direction and expectations are really the same. Direction and expectations. You're casting the vision and you're establishing behavior. Like what? Core values. Teachable points of view like Jesus. Jesus shared his teachable points of view, the standards. The criteria for the way we function, guys, in our ministry. Core values, teachable points of view like Jesus had. Standards, standards for what? Integrity, professionalism, excellence. Your DNA, that's your DNA. I'm talking about high definition. High definition direction setting. High definition. Envisioning what it is God tells you to do. That's your DNA. You have to establish your DNA. You can't let somebody go merrily along, mess up, and then tell them what they should have done. And what we stand for here and how we're supposed to behave, that has to be taught right from the beginning with every player, all the players you got now and every new player that comes in. It has to be, we have to establish what it is we stand for here. That's your DNA. And it has to be systemic. That's, these are the things that are systemic to your ministry. What does that mean? Well, I, I like to garden. And so I, we were having some problems with those little things that get on the roses. And so I went down to the Jolly Green Nursery and the Jolly Green guy and the green guy. And, the, you know, I said, hey, this one thing here says it's good for roses. It's $4.98. This one here is $1.98. What's the difference? He said, that's systemic. I said, okay, what's that mean? And he said, you, this thing is topical. You spray it on the rose, and then in, if it rains or after a few days, it's finished. You've got to do it again. This thing is, goes down into the roots of the, it goes down into the soil and it's absorbed by the roots and it's, it becomes internal. It becomes part of the plant and to resist disease. And I said, okay, I can see why I'd pay three bucks more for that one and that's why you ought to pay three bucks more to get something systemic into your ministry. So get a DNA that's systemic. It's not another theme. It's not another, you know, uh, another theme for the year or something we're going to do twice. This is cultural. This is where you build your cultures. You have to, what do you stand for? What is it you want? What's systemic to your ministry? Let me list a few of them. First of all, it would start with the learning culture because you're not going to learn how to do any other culture until you learn how to learn. So people are willing to learn until you become the teacher that you need to be. So the first culture you'd want to have is the learning culture. Then you'd want to have an accountability, and these aren't in order, but the first one is. If you don't have a learning culture, then you can't learn any of the rest of these. And you come up with what yours are. What's your brand? What's your DNA? What is God telling you is unique about you? These cultures are all part of your DNA. Learning culture, accountability culture, I'm going quickly. Innovation culture, which requires a calculated risk culture. Discipleship culture a service culture, an honesty culture, or, or a righteousness culture, productivity, execution culture, 
succession culture, generational culture, a culture that is generating future generations of leaders that, that will be able to serve God in a meaningful way. So these are all part of the cultures. And, and, and they all come from, and when you build these cultures and you do them well, you built a stronghold. Not like the one we often think about, you know, the enemy's strongholds. No, we'll have a stronghold. We'll have a bastion against the enemy if we have these things. But you have to build it. You have to build it with high-definition direction. And let me just share this with you. Responses to your spiritual influences and the criteria you establish for your culture, for your ministry, for your, the atmosphere that, that, you, that you direct, and, and that creates an atmosphere. You create a spiritual atmosphere. You create an atmosphere of learning. You create an atmosphere of commitment and so forth. That atmosphere then sustains itself to become a climate. Now we become a climate, a learning climate, a learning laboratory. It's a climate where everybody's learning. People are making mistakes, but they're learning from the mistakes. And that we have to have that. Uh, if you're going to have a learning culture, you've got to loosen up and let people make mistakes. So then you have a climate. Then the climate, sustained for a period of time, becomes a stronghold, like the one we just talked about, a bastion. And then the stronghold creates a culture. And we can resist the things that the enemy tries to come against us. My pastor shared at the annual meeting, uh, and he wrote in an article, too, that he, that he uh, gave me. And I'm just going to share with you because it, it says more eloquently than, than I could stand up here and say what I'm trying to communicate right now. He said, culture trumps vision, strategy, and goals and objectives. The reason is that vision evolves, is fulfilled, and a new vision emerges. So vision is fairly fluid. Culture is, be, is the being part, the vision and the doing part of the church life. For us, who we be is more important than what we do. Because if we have the being part of our existence correct, then by the grace of God, we can do anything he's assigned us to do. So that's why these two have to work together. So to illustrate that even more clearly, here are results that you direct, like 15 to 30, and here is behavior, like the cultures we just heard and read about. So that's the difference, results and behavior. Here's a low level of results. In other words, they don't accomplish very much. Not, not much happens. Here, high level of accomplishment, productivity, execution. Here is behavior that we do, the antithesis of what we've directed and what we want. And here is the fulfillment or the execution or the displaying of the things that we prescribed that we just talked about. So this is results and this is behavior. So here we have Peggy Sue who flat out gets stuff done. She can really achieve, she just can get it, get it done flat out. But, and, well, let's do the and first. Let's, be, let's look at it positively. And she has built a team, and you're going to learn in a minute. She's provided direction. She's delegated to the team. She has them doing the thinking. They come up with the plans, ideas, and recommendations. She's coaching them for success. She knows how to obtain evaluation, and she's doing that with her team. She's, she's one of your errands and hers, and now she's doing it with her team down here. So she's replicating you. 
Whoa, that's great. Now we connect the dots. Both dots, results and behavior. When we connect those dots, she's up here and is close to getting the gold star. She's an A player because she's doing both. Now, let's, let's take the converse of that. She flat out gets stuff done. Man, she can bat it out. She gets she's, you're never disappointed in what she produces. But she hasn't built a team. Or she has a team, but she's not utilizing them effectively. They're not growing. They're not changing. Oh, they do just errands and grunt work for her. But she's not building a team. So the next mandate that God drops on your ministry that you have to pass to, along to Peggy Sue here, she's maxed out. She's burned out. She's, she's flat out. She can't do anymore. She can't handle anymore because she's not doing this part of the job. She's getting a lot done. So now she's not doing it. So when you connect these dots, she's either a B minus or a C plus and going south because she's not doing what you prescribed. She's not building the culture that you established. Are you, are you getting this? So you have to evaluate both. It's not just giving direction and hoping for the best. It has to come. That's why, well, let's keep going. Now this, this, so we need people that will offer plans, ideas, and recommendations down deep into the ministry, as deep as we can get them. They come up with plans, ideas, and recommendations. We have to have other people that can think. If you're the only brain in the ministry, the only one that can utilize their brain in the ministry, we're not going anywhere. We're limited to how much you can handle and think through. So your job is to develop more thinking down into the ministry as fast, and that's why step two is so important. You've proven you can think. You've proven that you can plan. You know how to come up with new ideas, and you know how to come up with recommendations that solve problems that surface. A problem without a solution is a complaint. They don't come to you with problems without a solution. And you tell them, you instruct them. Our culture, you don't do that here. You come to me with solutions. I don't mind hearing about the issue, but I want to know what you're going to do about it. And you ask them that. What are you going to do about it? Well, how are we going to solve that? Let's change the mindset here. Change that mindset. So they come, who would know better what needs to be done in their department than they? You know as much as they now because you're doing it. You're down there with them, doing it. You're down here banging shoulders with them. And, hey, let's, you know, we're working together here. And you know a lot about that department. But you don't, then you don't know a lot about this department. So they know what needs to be done. And over time, they will become better than you at solving stuff and figuring things out. That's the objective. So we obtain from them. Now, that scares the daylights out of you. Some of you are sitting there saying, forget it, man. Forget it. We've working at this for 14. We've sacrificed. All those things you said yesterday were right. We've sacrificed. We've taken the risks, you know, and we've fought through this. Thing. We got this thing this far, and it wasn't easy. And, and now this guy, the mustache, is saying, turn it over to these reprobates, you know. <laughs> but you have to. You have to let go. You have to let go, and I'm going to help you let go here in a minute. But plans, ideas, and recommendations, that's what you are supposed to be delegating to them. 
obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations, we have to have more than one person who can think. Now we need to prove that other people can think, and the thinking has to go as deep into the ministry as you can possibly get it. The deeper the thinking, the further you will go, the faster you'll get there. A problem without a solution is a complaint. Put your people, put your people in situations from which they cannot escape without thinking. Push the thinking down. That's how you survive. That's how God's work gets done. And that's how they become more valuable to him, able to do more for him. Let me share something here that, that uh, is, is worth reading. The goal is to, I've said this three times, but I'm going to say it one more time. The goal is to create a universe of satellite CEOs, people at every level of your organization, of your ministry, who can act and make decisions as you would. That's the goal, just as you would. So you've accused yourself in them, you've put the stamp of God on them, the God that's in you, on them, and we create an environment of continual reinvention. That's how we reinvent ourselves in ministry. We have to have innovation. We have to have creativity. We have to have maximum creativity, the character of God. Albert Einstein, he, uh, he used to go into work. He tried to get his, the work done. I read an article about him. He, he would get the work done, try to get it done in the first hour so he could have the rest of the day to think. And, that's, and at right there at work is when he came up with his theory of relativity. He got the work done so he could think, have time to innovate. We have to cul cultivate a culture of innovation. And it starts it, not with you. You've proven you can innovate and think, but we've got to prove now we can go deeper than that. And a lot of it has to do with time to think, the word I just used. You have to have time to think. And here, here, you've heard the expression, don't just sit there, do something, right? You've heard that? Here's, here's, here's one I want you to work on next. Forget that now. You're pretty good at that. Don't just sit there, do something. You're the adrenaline junkie. You're the guy on the treadmill, right? We, what we need to now is reverse that. And I'm, what I'm recommending you work on is don't just, don't just do something. Sit there. Sit there and think. I ask pastors, I say, sir, with all due respect, when was the last time you thought? And I don't mean about how you're going to drive to the church or what you're, you know, but thinking about the forest for the trees, seeing the big picture, the macro. When, when have you thought about what we need to do? What, what does Joe need to do to develop? What, do, when I go, what am I going to need from Joe? When, or what am I going to need from my team three years from now? God's starting to talk to me about that new vision, that thing we're going to start. What do I have to put in Joe today so when we get to that, we can't wait till we get to that point and then say, Joe, you don't have it. So we need to be thinking about what we're putting in people and where we're going and what's working and what isn't working. So you have to have time to think. And you can't be like Monday. Every day is Monday and their schedule is so, so chock full of stuff that you, it's all spaghetti. You can't do that. It may make you feel valuable, but you won't survive. So you need to block out time, like here, to think. Do nothing but think. I'm not even talking about praying. Now, you can have God in there thinking with you, but I'm not talking just about your devotional time. I'm talking about just time to think. Shut the door. 
don't steal it from the hotel, but get one of those do not disturb signs. Tell them, you know, hey, uh, don't disturb me. I'm thinking. You feel guilty when you do nothing but think. There's no, nothing's happening here. This is where it all happens, right here. You've got to have time to think. You've got to have time to, to plan. And so here, you're going to have your ELT meeting here. Now, so you, you need to be prayed up, but you need to be fought up before that. You need to have time to think. I think that is clear. Think about how you're going to get more thinking time. And you, know, you have an open door policy. Right now it's shut. Unless the building's on fire and somebody's dying, don't open that door. Because I'm thinking about how to lead the ministry into the future. And I'm thinking about what needs to change to get there in the most expedient fashion. You have to have time to stop running and running and running. Crisis after crisis after crisis. 1% is inspiration, 99% of thinking is perspiration. My grandfather was a watchmaker. When he came to this country, my mom used to describe how he'd, he'd be sitting at the kitchen table for hours and hours and hours. Moving. He, was, he, invented, he was a watchmaker in Germany, but he invented the taxi cab meter. He just applied the things he learned from watchmaking. To, but she said he'd sit there for hours and hours, and he'd move parts around, and all night and he'd get so frustrated, and then he'd have some guy make another part, and they'd, oh, it didn't work. And it was all this perspiration she described. you know. And she would, as a little girl, she'd see him go through that. And, and it's, it's a lot of work to innovate. You've got you to stay with it. You've got you to gotta have dedication. You've got to have perspiration. You've got to teach your people. You know, see, I get so fed up when I go, you know, we we got to count the people that come to the door. Oh, well, they all count different. Can't really get a good number, you know. And then the guy, you know, see, they forget, and they send it to the cleaners, and we lose the number. Or, look, we need to get every visitor, every guest to fill out the card. No, well they, we can't do that. No, they don't like to do it. We need to get them all to come and meet the pastor or come and meet the pastors and find out, you know, get a first impression of what we're doing here, to tell them why we're here, why, what we want to do for them. They're here exploring. What are we going to tell them? Oh, we can't get them. They don't like to come, you know. We can't, we can't, we can't do this. No, it doesn't work. No, that's what you hear. I hear that all the time in ministry. If, if, I, if you hear that in the world system, you're fired. Get out, what are we paying you for? Get out of here. You're an encumbrance. Well, we're in the restoration business, so let's try to keep them. But we've got we've to cultivate a culture where people know they're going to be held. You've got to think. And, you know, I just came across this the other day, and uh, Brent and I were playing around with it. I learned it, and then I forgot it. I couldn't even explain it to him. But we've got to have people that think outside the box. And so you, some of you may be aware of this little exercise. So the objective here... Let me tell you, thinking outside the box. This is make a point. You can teach this to them. We need to, we, with, we need to connect all the dots with four continual straight lines. Okay? Let's connect all the dots with four continual straight lines. So I'll just help you out. The obvious would be one, two, three, four. Miss the dot, right? Or we could do one, two, three, four, and we miss that dot. Okay? But thinking out, so that's where people will tell you, can't be done. You know, it's obvious, you know, it doesn't work. Can't do it, pastor. Can't do it, sorry. 
No, but if you think outside the box, one, two, three, four. Got them all. Outside the box. Think outside the box. That's what we have to have. People thinking outside of the box. A man's mind stretched to a new idea never returns to its, to its original dimension. Desperation is not a criteria for a value system. Yeah, you may be desperate for people. We're in the restoration business. We don't want to lose anybody. You don't compromise on righteousness and God's value system.